Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I can trace every single thing that I've been able to do almost uh, financially to this day it comes back to that one property. So I guess it shows the importance of a little bit of luck going right, but also getting that first property right in your journey. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Rodney Holder, who describes his life as an ex-drummer in a heavy metal band that allowed him to tour the world, then turn that passion into a success music business podcast, which finally led him turn towards property investing for life. Speaking with Rodney Holder, he shares currently what is happening in his life. I'm in between jobs, so uh, that's interesting. But I am a very uh, passionate property investor. I'm a uh, ex-heavy metal drummer of a band that uh, I was in for 20 odd years, which I was lucky enough to um, tour the world and play with all my idols and uh, and do all that kind of really cool stuff. And then off the back of that, I was a music business lecturer teaching music business studies and I had a music business podcast. Well, I've got a music business podcast. And uh, yeah, music has been my life. But uh, all along all along doing all of that with my music stuff was um, my, uh, my property investing, which is something now that uh, I guess I've grown up a little bit and, and sort of music's taking a second, um, a second place in my life and property's overtaken. So it's, it's on with the property journey. A normal day for Holder starts with jiu-jitsu before taking his children to school. At the moment, like I said, I'm unemployed, so it's <laughs> so it's been great. I've been uh, I've been getting up nice and early and doing uh, jiu-jitsu classes, and then taking my kids to school, which has been amazing because I've got two little kids, and so uh, one's in um, kindergarten and one's in prep. So I get to make their lunches and do that, and then my day is usually I'm uh, you know I'm researching about property or I'm uh, watching podcasts and interviews or I'm uh, doing something, you know, I'm working on a number of projects at, at once. Um, at the moment, I'm also doing an online course to try and bring some more money in with a, uh, a Canadian rock star that I did a, an online course with, a guy named Devin Townsend. So, and then I'll go and pick up my kids and cook dinner and, and uh, watch a bit of telly with my wife and rinse and repeat. It's been, uh, it's, it's quite good at the moment, not having the responsibility of having to go to work. He also explains how important being a stay-at-home dad is. It is, and at such an important age, I, and I feel very lucky that um, you know not many dads get to do what I do and, and be there for their kids at those important times. So right now, I'm just uh, savouring all of it. At 17, Holder found his passion while subbing in as a drummer for a heavy metal band. I grew up in Canberra, 
which uh, a lot of people thought was very sort of uh, boring and just sort of the land of roundabouts and porn. But um, Canberra actually had a really vibrant and, and, and thumping music scene um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, and I was lucky enough to be a part of that. Um, I joined a heavy metal band uh, called Alchemist back in 1988, and um, we basically stayed together till about 2010. And uh, off the back of that band, you know, we, we grew this great scene along, along with a lot of other bands and um, we were very, very dedicated and motivated and we, we worked very hard and we, uh, we got signed to a couple of different record labels and we did a lot of touring. And like I said, I, I got to tour with all my idols and, and meet a lot of my, a lot of the, the rock stars I grew up with their posters on my walls and, and got to tour the world and got that little sort of taste of uh, being a bit of a rock star, I suppose. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I very much loved it. And it also really prepared me, I think, for, um, you know, for business life and, and property investing life because, you know, the music industry is so, uh, so hard to crack. So it made me very resourceful. So, yeah, that's kind of my story. And, and music was my life and playing the drums was my life and uh, playing uh, extreme heavy metal. I loved it. Gosh. When, when did you start to play uh, the drums? It's a funny story, you know, because by the age of 17, I still hadn't, I wasn't really even a musician and I went to a party one day and um, there was a, a really bad band playing, a bad heavy metal band and the drummer, he had um, snuck off to uh, have a bit of nookie with his girlfriend and the band, <laughs> said, the band said, hey mate, do you want to jump in on the drums? You reckon? So I just sort of picked up the sticks and I, I just had a knack for it. So I just... And so they ended up sacking that guy and they said, well, do you want to be the drummer? And I loved it. So um, I didn't start till I was 17. And by the time I was 19, I was pretty good. And uh, yeah, off there, that was my story. I, I was just addicted to it. <laughs> That's amazing. So pretty much at the end or towards the end of high school, that would be that age before going into um, either tertiary studies or going out to work. That's when you actually picked up the drums and got into that scene. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty much right. Yeah, I was actually a year younger than all my friends, so I finished. I actually finished year twelve when I was um, just turned seventeen. So I had a year of uh, um, up on all my mates, and uh, yeah, but that that was the time. Yeah, I was seventeen when I started playing the drums, and like I said, I I was never one of those drummer drummers who wanted to be the best drummer, but I did want to be the best heavy metal sort of <laughs> in the best heavy metal band I could be. And so yeah, I I, I practiced really hard, and I was lucky enough to find a bunch of guys that had the same vision and yeah we we pretty much uh went for it for a good 15 20 years before we sort of started to have kids and slow down and realize you know uh, it's probably time to maybe grow up for it wasn't all fun and games though holder had to work part-time jobs on the site to be able to pay the bills I was working at the Hyatt Hotel and um, I worked there until they told me I had to cut my hair and I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. How can I be in a, how can I be in a heavy metal band with, with short hair, which is ironic because people who don't know me, I've had a shaved bald head for the last 20 years. But um, no, I just did odd, odd jobs because the, the band came first. So I, it was pretty much whatever job I could take, uh, I would take. And then in the end, I actually ended up managing um, a pub uh, the good old Kingston Hotel. Some uh, listeners might know that in, in Kingston in Canberra. And, and the boss was really great because when I said, okay, well, I need the next six weeks off to go on tour, he was like, okay, no worries. And then when I got back, you know, I had a job to come to. So, yeah, um, all of the guys pretty much had to quit jobs at various times so that we could um, feed our heavy metal addiction. He completed a Bachelor of Communications and Media in university while drumming away with his band. 
my dad is a hard ass. Well, he was. He's retired now, but he was a hard ass copper. And he's like, mate, you can't just be playing the drums all day and doing nothing. This is not on. So um, I thought, well, if I go to uni, that'll buy me some time before the band becomes famous. So I went and studied uh, communication and media, and so that was great. I, I really enjoyed doing that degree. And um, to be honest, though, it was really just a front so that I could um, not have to go and get a full-time job and uh, I could go off and, and play with the band. But, yeah, so I, I came out of that and then as a result of doing my degree, um, I was actually lucky enough. Uh, in Canberra, there was a, a music business college started up at TAFE and uh, I landed the job as the, the music business coordinator because I, I had the, um, I guess, the academic piece of paper. But also, you know, I was literally that guy. I was the guy in the band that was booking all the shows. I was negotiating the record deals. I, we also ran a metal festival. So we uh, ran the largest heavy metal festival uh, in Australia at that time, um, a charity concert called Metal for the Brain. And, and so I was doing all of these great things. And that was my first real job. So I was actually getting paid like a serious salary and, and I felt like one of the luckiest guys in the world because I was playing in my band. I was getting paid to teach other people about, you know, copyright and contracts and negotiations and marketing and all that stuff that I was doing. And I was earning some really good coin, which I guess led into my uh, my first property investment. That's amazing. And that's the thing. You're doing something that you're passionate about. You tie both together. One is, you know, work that you do at the TAFE and then the other one where you're actually playing, you know, in a band. It's like the perfect dream uh, positions that you've got there and that's amazing yeah I, I was very very lucky Tyrone but I think um, uh, you know your luck is is if you work hard then those opportunities come around so that you can jump on those lucky opportunities I, I think that's what luck is Holdo ventured down the property path with a push from his father it brings back fond memories because I'd saved up 10,000 bucks and um uh, I thought, well, what am I going to do? And and I actually thought, right, I'm going to go overseas and um, and I'm going to have you know do the big thing without the band. You know, we've done a lot of um, travel with the band, but I thought I'm just going to go over and uh, do the touristy thing. And I actually sat down with my dad one day, and he and he just kind of said to me, he said, mate, if you go overseas and blow all your ten grand, that's fine. You'll have the experience, but when you come back, you'll have nothing to come back to. But he said, uh, by the way, I was just about to turn 32. So I think there was a psychological thing going on in my brain at this stage in my life. And, and my dad sort of said, but if you buy a house, you can always save that money again. And then when you come back, you've got your house to come back to. And and um, my dad's a pretty wise guy. And I thought, you know what, that, that makes a lot of sense. So um, I started looking to buy a house. I, I had enough money that I'd saved up because, I, you know, I was a bachelor. I didn't have any kids. I, my only really expenses was myself and I was earning a good wage. And, um, yeah, I, my dad had a friend who was a, real, uh, a property investor and also a real estate agent. And he sort of said, I was, I was looking at these, you know, brand new units and, and he said, no, you should buy yourself a nice big old house in the, you know, in the uh, suburbs of Canberra on a big block of land. And I ended up finding one that needed a complete renovation. It was a really run down old thing in the suburb of Higgins on a really big block. And um, because I was studying negotiations and teaching that as a part of my teaching, um, I thought I'd try out a few of the uh, techniques that I'd learned. And I, I was able to really negotiate and get a great deal on my very first property, which is what kind of set me up. And uh, 
And it also showed me that, um, you know, no offense to real estate agents, but the real estate agent was really only in it for himself. He didn't really worry too much about the, <laughs> the vendor. And I was, I was able to get this great, uh, this great bargain of a house, even though it was completely unrenovated. I thought, well, that's cool. I'll be able to have big sort of, uh, heavy metal parties. And if someone puts, <laughs> if someone puts their foot through the wall or, you know, whatever, it doesn't really matter. And, and that's actually what I did. I, it became a bit of a party house and, um, yeah, I've still got that house today and, and I can trace every single thing that I've been able to do almost uh, financially to this day yeah, it comes back to that one property. So I guess it shows the importance of uh, a little bit of luck going right, but also getting that first property right in your, in your journey. Yeah, and that would be a very sentimental property too because if your band played there, it brings back a lot of good memories too. <laughs> Oh my God! I mean, you can um, the neighbours will attest some of the parties that happened back there in the early two thousands were pretty crazy. Um, <laughs> we had a uh, we had a spa bath out the back, and uh, yeah, it was lots of fun. But um, it sounds like yeah. the perfect perfect place to hang out when Rodney has a party. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good times, no doubt. Coming up after the break, we'll delve deeper into Rodney Holder's property investing journey. I remember thinking, holy crap, I've, I've bought a house. How am I going to afford this, these repayments, you know? How they grew their portfolio. When I look at, the, at how much the property had grown in value, it was really, you know, the bank manager was sort of saying to me, oh, well, there's more here to come. You come and get it if you want it. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Invest Story. Holder shares with us when he purchased his first property investment. I settled on that property in October 2000 and I remember because I can remember moving in and going, I was really, really scared. I remember thinking, holy crap, I've, I've bought a house. How am I going to afford this, these repayments, you know? And um, I thought, well, what I'll do is, uh, and this has been another, uh, I guess, key to my um, ability to continue to invest is that I, I got my best buddies in and I said, hey guys, do you want to come and live with me? You know, do the group house thing. And so um, it was a two-story house. I lived upstairs and they lived downstairs and they both gave me 100 bucks a week. And um, I think, yeah, so I was getting like 800 bucks uh, a month rent from my buddies and I think the mortgage was 1000 bucks a month. So uh, <laughs> That's the best situation to be in. <laughs> yeah. And also when I went on tour to, to, to play, uh, you know, they were there to look after my dog and make sure no one broke into the house and keep the lights on and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it worked out really, really good. So... Um, yeah, I, I uh, gave my buddy somewhere to stay and we created this great party house. But at the same time, I, I had this really uh, ugly duckling asset, which um, uh, I only actually renovated at the beginning of last year. So uh, it, it stayed ugly uh, for uh, about 18 years. Well, to be honest, if there's nothing wrong with it, why fix it? Unless you need to, you know, if you're going to add value to it now, uh, there's no reason why because it's generating obviously good income for you. So yeah, that's <laughs> right. usually those ones that people don't bother touching. It's funny actually we mentioned that because there's a lot of places um, I've been around in Sydney and you know how a lot of doctors like to buy houses to do and run their clinics or medical centers out and you think, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably one of the cheaper options because then you don't have to actually go and buy a block of land and build a, a brand new clinic and stuff like that. And a lot of times they just fit it out the bare minimum to you know get the clients in there. And you just think, wow, it's it's a it's a sufficient enough place, but there could be you know a better investment to actually put more money into making it look better for just their clientele coming through. But you know doctors don't really care; they just want to get the clients in, and that's it. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. It kind of just reminds me of those kind of things that if it's not broken, why fix it? 
Yeah, well, what ended up happening was that I, I moved to Brisbane um, and uh, my, my buddies kind of said, well, well, we'll continue renting. Uh, it was a different set of buddies, but I had some buddies and they moved in and they basically lived in my unrenovated house for cheap rent for, um, yeah, about 14 years. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, I was getting, you know, the mortgage repaid plus by this stage the rent had gone up to give me a little bit of extra positive cash flow and um, it also, you know, enabled me to pay all the rates and, and, and all those other hot water bill that went occasionally, a hot water system, et cetera. But, um, yeah, uh, it, it, you know, they were happy because they were living in cheap accommodation and then I had someone paying off uh, my asset for me. It was great. It wasn't always smooth sailing. Holder faced some hardships while renting out his property. If I was to talk about probably the lowest, the lowest time, it's going back to that first house. And uh, last year, one, one of my said friends that I was telling you about that had rented out the house for so long... Um, uh, he just stopped paying the rent. And it was like, this is kind of strange because, you know, this guy had been uh, paying the rent every uh, every fortnight for, uh, like I said, 14 odd years. And when I sort of rang up, there was a, like the, there was an excuse and it was late and then, you know, it happened again, it happened again. And in the end, I had to sort of, um, it was, you know, I had, to, I had to kick my buddy out of the house essentially. I had to say, look, you, you've got to leave, man, because this is not going to, uh, we can't do this any longer. And I found out that he'd, uh, he'd lost his job and he was suffering depression and all, all this other stuff. So there was a real kind of like, um, it, it was hard for me to kick out him as my tenant because he was also my mate, uh, particularly at a time when he was going through a hard period. But, you know, I, I had to put my business hat on and say, well, I, I can't and I refuse to be just paying the mortgage while you're living there rent-free. So um, that, that wasn't the greatest thing. And, and then, of course, because um, he'd lived there as a party house for 14 years in this rent house that, you know, was completely unrenovated, that was when I said, okay, well, um, now I have to do the uh, the complete renovation. So, um, but, you know, to answer your question, like I said, Tyrone, I've been really, really lucky, and that's probably the worst thing that's happened to me. Uh, I, I've just, um, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, Someone's looking out for me, or I'm not. I mean, I'm not really religious or anything, but uh, touch wood, I haven't had it too bad. Holder's aha moment came when he bought that first property and paved the way for his future investments. If I go back to this first house in Higgins that I'm telling you about, um, I bought that in, uh, like I said, October 2000, and uh, lived in that with my buddies for a couple of years. And I can't remember, but there was the big property boom of about 2003, 2004. And um, I realized that the house that I'd, I actually paid $150,000 for this home in Canberra. And within the space of about 18 months, it was valued at three fifty. And uh, I remember just thinking, holy shit, this is why people get into property. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> like uh, I, I, uh, I didn't have to sort of wait for no capital growth. It, it just basically landed on my, on my doorstep. And, and so right at the time of uh, leaving Brisbane, uh, sorry, leaving Canberra to come to Brisbane, I didn't actually have a job to come to. I'd left this great job and uh, moved to Brisbane. And I was actually doing it pretty uh, hard financially myself. And my bank manager said, well, you've got all this equity in your property now. Um, what you can do is you could just get a line of credit and um, that'll kind of solve all your problems. And so I said, you can do that. And they were like, yeah. So um, here I was in Brisbane with no job and no money and still touring with my band um, and had um, a nice pile of cash that I could access 
to, uh, to continue to fund my lifestyle until I could get myself back on my feet. So I guess those two things happening was where I went, wow, property can go up in value and it has for me uh, quite significantly, which is amazing. And uh, secondly, I can um, also access that money and, um, you know, I know it's smarter to probably invest with it, but at that time, my own personal circumstance, it actually enabled me to survive. So I was able to pay all my bills and my debts and uh, fund my, uh, again, my addiction to heavy metal and um, <laughs> and live without getting a proper job for quite a while until uh, I was able to land a good job in Brisbane. However, Holder knew that he couldn't afford to go on like this and had to get a job. Well, I was working part-time when I got to Brisbane and just like, you know, crappy jobs. I think I had a job. I was doing furniture removing, which was a, uh, a quite a culture shock, moving furniture in the Brisbane sun uh, and also working in a bottle shop. So when I wasn't touring, I was actually working, but I was on a really sort of like low wage. And so when it came time for, you know, the rates or the insurance or um, uh, by this stage, I'd bought uh, more properties, by the way. So I was getting, you know, this body corporate and sinking fund. It, it was enabled. It enabled me to tap into that equity and and basically fund the shortfall of funds that I had, and um, that probably lasted me that money for two years. Oh, that's really good. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and really, and 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 when I look at, the, at how much the property had grown in value, it was really, you know, the bank manager was sort of saying to me, "Oh, well, there's more here to come. You come and get it if you want it." <laughs> I know it's a lot different now, but um, I was aware of not just sort of like plowing in and using up my equity, but um, it certainly did help me. So that, that is a part of my story. Inspired by his grandfather's dying words, Holder moved to Brisbane to be with the girl he was most fond of. Well, when we were touring here, I always, um, I always loved Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane was just such a, a stark contrast to Canberra, particularly in the winter. And I'd lived all my life in, in um, Canberra and uh, it was actually my grandfather, he was on his deathbed and he sort of said to me, you know, your life goes so quick that you got to do what you got to do. And you know, the only thing holding me back in Canberra was my band. And uh, uh, I met a girl I was very fond of and she lived in Brisbane and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to chuck it all in. I'm just going to do it. And so it was just one of those things where I, I threw in this great job. I threw in... Uh, I thought I was throwing in the band, but I was actually able to talk them into uh, uh, allowing me to stay in the band whilst they lived in Canberra and I lived in Brisbane. Obviously, it made rehearsals harder, but we, we kept it together. And um, yeah, that's why I moved up here. And um, I, I'm, I, I really love Brisbane. I've been told by my next door neighbour that I'm not allowed to say I'm a, a Brisbane guy till I've lived here for 20 years and this year, uh, 16 years. So I'm nearly, I'm nearly a Queenslander. Oh, I don't know if that one rings true, but you know, if you've been living there for 16 years, I, I have no problem calling you a Queenslander. <laughs> yeah, well, I must admit, when I go back to Canberra, it seems like an alien place now. It's so different from when I was there. But yeah, I can yeah. imagine. So, when was the last time you went back to Canberra? Well, it was last um, year to do that renovation on that first house. I went down and uh, I uh, I rolled up my sleeves. There was, if you can imagine, this completely filthy, ugly house. Uh, here's a good story. I, 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 I rang up a couple of real estate agents and I said, can you give me a valuation on this property? Because I knew that the Canberra market was, uh, was going up. And they said, look, in the state it's in, you might be lucky to get maybe 470, 480 for the property. Because like I said, it's a pretty big property. It's got, um, uh, you know, two story and four bed, three, uh, three bedrooms at the time. I added a fourth bedroom. And then um, after the renovation, I uh, spent about 80K on the reno and then the bank valve came in at 700. So I was wrapped. 
Inspired by this story and what Rodney Holder has in store for the future, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode on Property Invest Story. We'll learn about his approach to investing strategies. I convinced one of my mates, I said, I'm going to move to Brisbane, I'm going to buy this unit. Do you want to go halves with me? His reasons behind why he started this journey. The fact that I'm really lazy and I don't want to have to work all my life. And um, I like the idea of passive income. The best advice he's received. I heard him tell her, never ever sell your property. You know, always keep the property, don't sell it, refinance it and use that to leverage into other property. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.